Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 36 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And are you someone that has experimented with intuitive eating? Have you read the book or maybe gone on some websites or blog posts that describe the intuitive eating process and maybe you've given it a try, but then found yourself really not thinking it worked for you? Or are you someone that has experimented with intuitive eating and are dying to know what you weigh? You really want to check it. If you've answered yes to either of these situations, then I think you're going to appreciate today's letter. We have a letter today from someone who's newly experimenting with intuitive eating and has found it to be more of um, kind of like a honeymoon experience in the beginning and then falling flat on her face when she weighs herself. So I go ahead and give Dr. Dawn Clifford a call in order to help me with this letter. She's a professor at Cal State at Chico, and she has some really important insight about um, this experience, and I think you're going to appreciate it. So let's go ahead and get to this episode's letter. Dear Food, 
After a lifetime of eating, binging, and restricting, I finally felt like I needed to shift the way we exist in the world together. I've loved you, feared you, needed you, and abused you. We were in need of couples therapy. Luckily, I found a great podcast that was all about you. After binge listening to the Love Food podcast, I was inspired to explore intuitive eating. For the last month, I've immersed myself into the intuitive eating slash body positive culture by reading and investigating different books, blogs, etc. What I learned felt right, and I started to implement the tenets of intuitive eating. We had a great two-week honeymoon where I wasn't anxious about dining out, and I allowed myself to eat what I truly craved. I was also vigilant about stopping before I got too full. It was pretty amazing to learn how little I actually needed to feel satisfied. Things were going great until I did something stupid. I stepped on the scale. Yes, I know the expert said you can't diet and practice intuitive eating at the same time, but my old compulsion got the best of me. So I weighed myself, and it turns out I lost a few pounds, almost effortlessly. And that's where I derailed. Since finding out I've lost some weight, I've been binging and restricting again. It's the same thing I would do when I used to diet. Lose a little and eat my way back up the scale. What am I doing? I can't seem to find the intuitive path again. Every day I try, but end up binging by the end of the day. How did I get here again? I was so feeling empowered and free just a couple of weeks ago, and now I'm feeling defeated and fat all over again. I somehow turned intuitive eating into another diet gone wrong. Food, I wanna get us on the right path again, but I'm not sure how. Love, intuitive, saboteur. That big hunk of metal gets way more power than it deserves. That's a quote from Reba Sloan, a dietitian out of Tennessee. And she's a dietitian that's been working with eating disorders for a number of years and someone I look up to because, you know, all of us in our world, we do put too much emphasis and give too much power to that stupid hunk of metal when it really should just be another anthropometric data point um, that doesn't determine the end-all be-all. It really should just be like our temperature or our blood pressure, just another point. And I love how Reba just so concisely puts that together there because really it's, it's a pretty stupid instrument really. And for some reason, Our world has tangled up our worth, our health, and made all all of our decisions for us based on what that stupid hunk of metal says today. And for you, letter writer, it sounds like that's what happened. That hunk of metal crept back into your life um, and kind of swooped under your energy and enthusiasm for intuitive eating and ended that honeymoon pretty abruptly. I wish your experience was unique, but really it, there are so many things that you're, you're, you were writing about that is very common in the intuitive eating process. And when I talk to folks who are new in intuitive, intuitive eating, I often wait for this type of experience because the honeymoon is a really common first step with intuitive eating. Intuitive eating was never meant to be a diet. It was never meant to be something that promotes weight loss. Its intent has always been to help people heal their relationship with food while experiencing health. 
And unfortunately, we live in this world that just can't seem to get the grasp of that. And there's a lot of people who still promote intuitive eating and weight loss in the same sentence, which I'm always like, did you read the book? Because that's like the opposite of whatever that they're working for. They're working on healing, not weight loss. Certainly, there have been people who've lost weight after they've explored intuitive eating, but the pursuit of weight loss is something that is totally like a perpendicular process that um, is backwards to it. And unfortunately, with that being said, intuitive eating will often feel like a diet in the beginning. It'll feel exciting, a bit seductive, that this is going to be finally the magic bullet. And every single person I've talked to who's experienced intuitive eating has experienced the end of that honeymoon, whether it include the scale or not. So for you, letter writer, please know um, there's a textbook side to what you're experiencing, which the good news is then we have some textbook answers for you. And um, I'm going to go ahead and call a colleague. Her name is Dr. Dawn Clifford, and she's a professor at Cal State in Chico. And, you know, the first time I heard about Dr. Clifford was when I heard her speak at the Academy of and Nutrition, um, I'm not saying that right, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Conference a few years ago, and she was speaking on um, health promotion using weight neutral approaches, and it was awesome. It was an incredible presentation. I already identified as a health at every size dietitian at that point, but it just further made me proud of being in that kind of um, paradigm. So she's someone who's a researcher and educates healthcare providers on how to use intuitive eating to promote health and why it is so much um, a more long-term solution to um, our health concerns and also healing our relationship with food. So I think she's going to have a different kind of insight and I'm excited to hear what she has to say. So let's give her a call. so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us about this letter. I hope you had a chance to read it. Yes, my pleasure. I did have a chance to read the letter. It's a great letter. Awesome. Oh, I know. And something that all the things she was talking about, I'm like, oh, I know many people can relate to this letter. Many people who've tried intuitive eating on their own or working with someone. And so when I read it, I did think of you because I know these are things that you're really familiar with. And I'm wondering, what is your impression on what she's experiencing? Well, my first impression, the first thing I thought of when I read her letter was I thought about this one class that I teach. Um, I'm a university professor and I, I teach a class on nutrition counseling and education, teaching skills and, and um, motivational interviewing. And I have my students read the intuitive eating book. And at the end of the semester, I uh, talk to my students about the intuitive eating book content and also as it relates to the sadder eating competence model, which I'll talk more about in a second. But one of the questions I always ask my students is, can you have positive attitudes about eating? Can you have a peaceful relationship with food when weight loss is your primary goal? And I always uh, am fascinated by students' response to that. And I really try to keep my mouth shut and just let them sort of debate that in the space of the classroom. And it's always fascinating. 
at the variety of answers and um, debate that actually occurs naturally when you ask a classroom that question. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it's awesome that you're having students read intuitive eating and they're getting the Ellen Satter eating competence model. That in itself blows me away. But, you know, I do feel like it's important for people to debate what you said. You know, we all kind of have to have that dissonance in a way and sit with that and then eventually move forward. But I'm dying to know what you think. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> can you pursue weight loss and make peace with food? Yeah. And I usually do give my two cents at the end of the discussion. Um, and so I, re- I think that it's very, very, very hard to have a peaceful relationship with food when you are intentionally pursuing weight loss. So is it possible? Probably, but it's very, very, very hard. Mm -hmm. And the best analogy I can think of um, is I used to be a competitive swimmer and I used to train, you know, over 20 hours a week in that. And I was obviously in very good aerobic fitness and um, low percentage body fat, et cetera, et cetera. But I was getting sick all the time. My immune system was completely shot and I had bronchitis. I had walking pneumonia. I I felt like I just kind of jumped from one illness to another. And so the analogy here is um, perhaps, you know, I was doing what I needed to do for my sport, but it was really negatively affecting another area of my body. And that's what I think about when I think about the whole person, the physiology, Um, and the psychology together, um, you may be doing things that improve the physiology, such as um, nutritional health, but there's often a cost to the psychology, um, the emotional health. Uh, And so I definitely can see how that might be what this uh, individual is experiencing. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think... Um, if you had a guess, like, you know, once she got on that scale, like, what do you think was going through her mind that made it go from this kind of peaceful go with the flow to back down that rabbit hole of like, you know, restricting and binging and playing that push and pull again? Yeah. And one thing I really appreciate about this writer is uh, her authenticity in just mm-hmm. noticing and being aware of and sharing her relationship with the scale and how that is completely influencing her relationship with food, because it's such an important reminder for all of us, how that can so easily happen. And she is very aware of herself and and really calls out what's, what's going on. So I think um, I just want to applaud her for her bravery in, in sort of admitting to that piece. Mm -hmm. And, and just, I hope that she hears um, or he hears that it is so common um, that we all hear that from clients all the time, that you can feel like you're taking two steps forward and then uh, essentially take one step back the second the scale is involved because it really does mess with our relationship with food when our eyes are focused on that number. Mm, Yeah. So is that what you think? Like It went from connecting to her body to then, even if it wasn't like totally purposeful thinking about the number, but somehow her conscience was still really valuing that as the end result. Do you think that's exactly. what's going on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, didn't, you know, want to focus on weight, was trying to make that not a focus, but it just sort of naturally happened when she stepped on the scale again. And I just want to validate that sounds mm-hmm. very common and, um, and it's just a good reminder to all of us how really taking 
those scales out of our bathrooms and out of our houses can really lead, can be an important step in the journey towards having a healthy relationship with food and your body. Yeah. Yeah. So by taking the scale out, is that one of the first steps that you'd recommend to someone like this letter writer? Yes. Um, And I would encourage her to do so in a gradual way that she feels comfortable with. I think going cold turkey from the scale can be really hard um, if that's just been, you know, a part of your normal routine. But it's Mm -hmm. something definitely, I think, worthy of shooting for. And it could be done in gradual, um, in a gradual way that she feels comfortable with that Mm -hmm. ends, you know, with the official burning of the scale in the backyard (laughs) when she's ready. I love being a part of those kind of ceremonies. And, (laughs) and, um, you know, as many people's dietitians, something that I always offer, I'm like, if you don't want to have your scale at home anymore, you're like, if you're at that place where you've titrated off checking, so you don't want it at home, but you're not ready to get rid of it. I'm like, I will take it and put it in a special place in my office, rent free. And and actually it's like under my couch in my office, I have, I call it all this contraband. You know, I have all the scales from people. And sometimes, you know, people eventually will say, okay, I'm ready to like destroy it. And so we'll go do that. I always think that's so fun. And you know, that's I have so nice of you. Oh yeah. Thanks. Anybody, I'll take <laughs> care any of the contraband. Um, I have lots of stuff like that under my couch. But one of the things I was gonna ask you after like letting go of the scale. What do you feel like are the next best steps for someone like this letter writer? Well, it it sounds like she's had some experience and some practice using the intuitive eating skills, you know, paying attention to her hunger and fullness cues um, and noticing her cravings and responding to them when they arise. And so it sounds like she's she's been there and now it's just a matter of, of getting back there. And I, if I were sitting with her, I would be using my motivational interviewing skills to invite her to think of one small step back into that direction. Um, because, uh, you know, it could be very overwhelming to think, Oh my gosh, I've gotten so far off track. How do I get back? And how do I do everything I was doing before all at once? Um, so I would invite her to just choose one small, um, piece that that helps her feel like she's connecting back to her body. Oh, I like that. You know, that's really interesting because I think diet culture is consistent with a lot of parts of our society today of like this all or nothing kind of experience as what is normal. And that's what she's writing about is like she was all in into the intuitive eating and then something happened and it kind of went all the way back out and she doesn't have to go all back in. You know, she can kind of take some steps and whatever parts feel like she could probably be the most successful with now. Maybe it's just trying to connect with her hunger, you know, or just like one little thing in there that feels like it's doable. I think that's really important. I didn't even think of it that way. I think that's a really great way to like just get back in because I feel like intuitive eating a lot of times is interpreted in a very kind of black and white way, which I don't think was ever the intent. It doesn't sound healing when we feel like we have to be so all or nothing. So that even seems consistent with it too. And you've mentioned motivational interviewing. um, And I feel like motivational interviewing uh, and intuitive eating and weight neutral approaches are like the match made in heaven. <laughs> you know, those three Aren't things. They? Yes. Will you tell the listeners a little bit more about the book that you wrote about motivational interviewing? 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, motivational interviewing has been around for several decades, and it's being used in all sorts of different health professions, including medicine and nursing and social work. Uh, it's also being used in criminal justice, and it's also being used in the schools by educators. So um, I was excited to have the opportunity to write a book that's specifically for nutrition and fitness professionals. So how to take those concepts from motivational interviewing and apply them specifically to appointments or, or client sessions you might be having within that field. And so the book includes just a, a wide variety of scripts and dialogues from various various aspects of our field, all the way from health coaching, personal training, to clinical dietitian, inpatient and outpatient, WIC, Etc. So we just are we're excited to be able to put motivational interviewing into a more palatable format specific to our profession. Awesome. Yeah, because most of the things I've read were either for addiction professionals or counselors. And then there seemed to be more with doctors, but there wasn't. Oh, and then also like kind of clinical groups, but not necessarily just for dietitians and other people like us. And something that I know to be true is there's a number of dietitians and exercise professionals who listen to this podcast. So I think they're going to really like that resource. And so I'm going to go ahead and um, put that on our food piece syllabus. Um, maybe that's one we can put on for today, just because I think a lot of people could benefit from that. Because this conversation, you know, this letter from this letter writer is really common. And so having these motivational interviewing skills, I think could help a lot of people for sure. Absolutely. Wonderful. And one other thing I wanted to mention related to this letter is the importance of inviting this client to look at what drove her to step on the scale um, and where she sort of stands right now in her body image. And uh, that's definitely a topic that we address throughout our book, this motivational interviewing and nutrition and fitness, because body image comes up so much in appointments and that, you know, client who's seeking you maybe initially because they're interested in weight loss. How do you then help the client um, realize that what they're experiencing is a negative body image that, of course, is uh, a result of all our culture? And how do we guide our clients to break free? from that negative body image. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the other topics or reasons that you um, have heard about the reasons people step on the scale outside of like, I just want to lose weight, but like really when you peel it back, what kind of things have you witnessed or heard? Right. And I'm guessing in this letter, um, perhaps this person was simply just curious, you know, what I've made all these changes now. I'm just flat out curious what's going on with my body. Um, and that sounds really normal and natural. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, other things that lead to a negative body image uh, can be the comparison things that we do, you know, on social media can be, you know, just our exposure to thin equals beautiful. That's all over the media. And of course, it can also come from healthcare professionals, well-meaning, well-intended healthcare professionals who maybe send a message that weight really matters when it comes to health, when in fact, uh, they're they don't have correct information on that. And then, of course, uh, loved ones. A lot mm -hmm. of times messages that your body isn't OK comes from mom or dad growing up or uncle or grandparent um, and, and current uh, partners and friends as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's messages all around us for sure. Um, and it does make intuitive eating work complicated. And I think 
Um, I don't know about you, but anybody I've worked with that has started to take the steps towards healing their relationship with food using intuitive eating, they've had these experiences where they basically were challenged from any of those things you talked about. And it could have been just curiosity, like you said, or from someone in their life. And they've had to make steps to either advocate for themselves or figure out what's the best solution. Like, if they're just curious, is it going to be okay for them to step on it? You know, can it, I feel like for people I work with, I always tell them, like, if the number on the scale has as much meaning to you as your temperature, then it's probably not going to be something that's going to, like, totally hurt this this process, you know? But if it's going to have a lot of meaning, then, and you're just curious, then it doesn't sound like it's really going to be that health promoting, <laughs> you know? Like, it could be something that um, could hurt this process for you. So, um, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It just is that reminder to us as practitioners that we really need to work with each client as an mm -hmm. individual and help them explore what their current relationship with the scale is and help them prompt them to sort of think through that decision. How is this number going to influence my day, my week, you know, mm -hmm. and my progress in, mm -hmm. in radical self-care? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then I always follow up with, you know, that number is not going to have meaning to me as your healthcare provider because, um, you know, I can't tell anything by your weight, you know. It's, it's not something that I'm going to be using as a point of progress. But yet I know this world is a is a one that is still using it, unfortunately. But, you know, I mentioned the food piece syllabus. And I'm wondering, Dawn, if you have anything that you'd like to add um, from your end. Yeah, one other piece I'd like to add is the um, book Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family by Ellen Satter. And Ellen Satter is a big name in the nutrition field because she um, played a big role in helping us understand how to develop healthy relationships with food from from infancy. So her expertise is in child feeding. And she's developed the um, sadder eating confidence model that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview. And I, I just wanted to mention that model again, because the four components of the eating confidence model are eating attitudes, food acceptance, which relates to, you know, picky eating, internal regulation, which is hunger and fullness cues, and then contextual skills, which relates to are you, you know, making some for taking some forethought and planning and preparing meals and snacks. Do you have some basic skills in, in grocery shopping and sort of planning for feeding? And the reason I want to bring that up as it relates to this letter is the first category of the four categories I just mentioned, which is eating attitudes. Um, because I really think that, that that really drives home this piece of having peace with food, you know? So a person with negative eating attitudes has a lot of anxiety about food. They're constantly reading food labels. They're worried about what they're putting in their mouth. Um, they're sort of overthinking it. Whereas somebody with um, positive eating attitudes, it has a very carefree relationship with food. They may have something to sort of satisfy a craving that's not completely nutritional, nutritionally sound, but they're not worried about it. They know that you know, over time, um, all things can fit into their diet. and um, They're not, you know, worried so much about, about the nutrition aspect. And so um, it, it, it's an important piece, I think, to mention as it relates to this letter, um, because that's the ultimate question. Can you be focused on weight loss and have a positive eating attitude? And I think, again, the answer is um, possibly, but it's so incredibly 
hard mm-hmm. <laughs> and challenging to mm-hmm. do so. And so I, I'd say um, with caution. <laughs> yes, yes, with caution for sure. And, you know, there's always that 3% of people who, you know, maybe can keep weight off, but that's not the norm. And we shouldn't expect that for us. You know, it's, it's like, that's why for most people, it's going to make it just really hairy. So like you said, proceed with caution. But, um, you know, that that book you mentioned, that has been a, a really helpful book for many people, myself included, that that book, you know, how it's like so rich and has so much information in it. Um, when I was um, a new mom, and I was never one that really liked to cook. I hate I actually still hate cooking. That's a strong word, but I really don't like it. <laughs> I just don't enjoy it. Um, and the man I married, he loved cooking, but his um, job was keeping him at work late. So if we were going to have family meals, I was like, I guess I have to be the one to cook. And so um, her book, at the, the end of it, it's like all about getting yourself cooking. And it was really great because the way that Ellen Satter talks about learning how to cook, she's not like, um, all from scratch from the get-go. She's like, use foods that are convenient to you that you can afford and just build up on it however you can. Um, and it was really nice. It was especially as a new mom with like no sleep and low confidence, it was like exactly what I needed. So um I completely exactly. forgot. I, yeah. She basically uh says, you know, just focus on getting some basic food groups yeah. and don't overthink it. Don't and I overthink think that it. is such a freeing message. Mm-hmm. And I also just really like um, her, the, the fact that she includes those contextual skills as part of this model, because it's really true. Unless we have some basic skills mm-hmm. in, in managing our food, it's going to be really hard to eat when we're hungry, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we didn't think ahead and, and plan for eating. So I really uh, appreciate that piece that her book brings to the non-diet book literature yeah. that maybe other books don't quite capture. Exactly. And, and you know, I think for this letter writer, that's a really good kind of um, maybe pivot for her to make is, is reading through that book and see how that can further give her maybe confidence in the process and enhance the process. And maybe going through that confidence model, model, like you said, like the first kind of step of it and see how that can build on it for herself. I mean, I think that's a really great step for her to take. And I hope the letter writer will write us back. You know, maybe she can let us know how things go. And um, Dawn, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. And um, I'm going to put these together in the food peace syllabus and um, take care. Okay. Yeah, Julie, I'm a big fan of your work. So it was just such an honor to be able to do this with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, letter writer, I hope you found uh, Don's words of wisdom helpful. And um, after I um, ended the interview with with, um, Don, I realized I didn't get her contact information for you all. And so she's given it to me. You can find uh, Dr. John Clifford's um, contact information and just more information about her research and her book at motivatechange.net. And you can also email her. It's D.E. Clifford at csuchico.edu. Of course, I'll put all of those in the show notes for you guys. But um, I'm really excited to hear Letter Writer, you know, with the next steps for you. It may feel exciting again to kind of start taking those first baby steps back into exploring your relationship with food and making peace with food and just know that 
you don't have to jump right back in. You can take it a step at a time. There's no right or wh- right or wrong way to do it. Food is written back, so let's hear what food has to say. But until then, do take care. Dear Intuitive Saboteur, we were just learning how to dance when curiosity brought our relationship back to the scale. That scale has had too much to say about our relationship. Let's make a pact. Before the next time you weigh in, pause. Decide if it's the next best step. Ask, what makes now the time to check it? How will that affect us? That scale has been a wedge between us for far too long. It also blocks you from you and distracts you from connecting to all your innate wisdom. Let's take the steps we can away from using the scale. And we know those same steps will also bring us closer to peace. Love, food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Love Food Series. Have you enjoyed the show, or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.